Hello, and welcome to the Detroit Real Estate Experts Podcast, your place for top tips, helpful hints, and all things real estate in and around Detroit. Today's episode features Jay Taylor, Dan DeFore, and Benjamin Gooch. These coworkers and friends from Jay Taylor and Associates sit down to have a lively conversation and debate about one of the unique entities in Detroit real estate, the Detroit Land Bank Authority, also known as the DLBA. As one of the biggest landholders and sellers in Detroit, the Land Bank was formed to help solve abandoned home and blight issues that have plagued Detroit for years. In today's episode, you will hear firsthand experiences from Jay, Dan, and Ben, who have purchased homes from the Land Bank themselves and helped to guide other buyers through the Land Bank process, as well as some of the pros and cons of the DLBA's position in the city. So sit back, relax, and enjoyed this episode of the Detroit Real Estate Experts Podcast. All right, welcome back, guys. This is uh, another episode of the Detroit Real Estate Experts Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I run a team in Detroit called Jay Taylor & Associates. Today, I've brought two guests on with me. Uh, One of them has been on here before. Dan DeFore is my transaction coordinator, my inbound sales lead engine, as well as just all around great guy. Dan, say hi. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back. Thanks, Jay. Yeah. And then I also have Ben Gooch for the first time on the podcast. Ben is one of the realtors on my team. Ben has a very bizarre background that ranges uh, all over the country and jobs like uh high tech sort of things as well as at one time a bmw car salesman so he is right now just killing it in the real estate game in detroit and he is uh on the podcast today say hi hey guys how's it going <laughs> he also has a voice for radio hey thank you very much thanks for having me <laughs> I think I reference ben once before in a previous episode is may have some of the best stories oh my <laughs> word he's, he's actually starting a youtube channel so when we have the details on that one he'll be yeah, youtube we'll famous pretty soon. It's like just putting the videos together and editing them is like, I'm like, ah, I don't want to do it. <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah. But today's topic is all about the D- Detroit Land Bank. Uh, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this uh, will have heard of it, but if you haven't, I'll give you a very brief description and then we're going to go into them. Uh, the Detroit Land Bank is not that old of an organization, but they were founded out of the foreclosure crisis where the city owned just massive amounts of assets that were lost to tax foreclosure. Everyone's familiar, if a bank forecloses on a property, it goes through mortgage foreclosure. And those properties usually get sold on auction.com, hubzoo.com, different different websites that sell homes that have mortgage foreclosure on their title. However, if there was no mortgage that foreclosed on it, if they were owned outright, but the owner failed to pay their tax bill for three years in a row, the city can just take the property back and say, you're three years delinquent on your taxes, you've made no efforts to make payment. This property is now seized by the city of Detroit. And so a lot of properties were just being stacked up, you know, 60% of the city was abandoned and lost a tax foreclosure. And in that crisis, they founded a nonprofit called the Detroit Land Bank Authority, DLBA. So you'll see a lot of properties that were deeded from the city of Detroit to this new entity, DLBA. And then they have these huge, awesome programs that help put those homes back into circulation. So did I miss anything that you guys want to add to what the Detroit Land Bank is? 
No, I think that's a good spot to expand from. I think a, a interesting question to start with is why are we talking about the Detroit Land Bank, right? Uh, one thing I've run into specifically in Detroit is the, the Detroit Land Bank is an entity that is more prevalent here than I think you'll see than you would expect, right? You're, you're constantly running into agents who work for the land bank, land bank homes. I mean, they own thousands of homes. Yeah, I've seen lists of homes that the land bank owns that have never hit the market yet. We're talking, it's a very strategic plan they have and they, they're working from the inside out. If they have an asset that's worth a lot, they'll have one method that they sell it. If they have an asset that's worth almost nothing, they have a different method they use to sell it. But, you know, statistically, the city was over 60% abandoned uh, in its worst point. That 60% means that, let's just say there's 700,000 homes in the city of Detroit. That means at one time, the city of Detroit probably owned 400,000 homes that they had to get rid of. And through blight removal, just mowing the property down to the ground and filling the hole in. It's a high number just to get rid of the home. Yeah. Um, so then you'll see, you know, in certain neighborhoods, like along Werner Highway, uh, there's this area that's just expansive, vast prairie in the heart of the city yeah, of Detroit. It's a pasture. It's a pasture. <laughs> and, you know, people joked about the pheasants have moved back into Detroit because there's enough hidden brush for them to hide in and live and thrive and flourish. You know, in my neighborhood, in the heart of the city, I have deer walking through my neighborhood all the time. Uh, I, I, I joke that if you take Detroit, flip it upside down and shake it, you'd see just a ton of wildlife fall out. <laughs> like there's just a ton of vacant property. That. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, roving pit bulls is a little bit more terrifying, <laughs> but they also exist. Um, yeah, but they don't, they aren't attacking you. Usually they're running away from you. They're running away from you. I'm free. I don't want to go. But what we see is that because of that massive number of assets that they own, uh, they didn't just dump all 400,000 properties into circulation all at once. They were strategic about it and they've found community partners and they found nonprofit organizations and they found large deep pockets um, and, and handed out valuable assets to people that could actually renovate them. But to answer your question, why are we talking about them today? It's because I would say one in five phone calls into our office, maybe one in four phone calls, is about the Detroit Land Bank. They're saying, we would like to buy this home, can you help us? And the, the actual short answer is no, the Land Bank does most of their interactions from their own website without the help of real estate agents. And again, there are exceptions to that where some of their most valuable assets are being listed on the MLS through realtors, and then they will honor a realtor arrangement and pay commissions. But when you hear about the $1,000 houses, and when you hear about the $100 vacant right. lots, those ones are not real estate realtor transactions. Those are purely yeah. website driven. You can buy it with a credit card. Well, should we talk about Montgomery right now? Uh, <laughs> well, so I'll use Montgomery as an example to elaborate on Jay's point. But I think one of the reasons we hear about and talk to people who are inquiring about land bank homes so much is because, yes, you see a home for sale for $1,000. Sometimes it's a single family home. And sometimes we're talking giant, vacant, 13 unit apartment buildings like Montgomery. Montgomery What's the address? 2409? 2903. 2903. And how about you talk about it, Ben? You've been in it. Yeah, it has no ceiling. 
<laughs> it has yeah. no roof. You can only go into the basement. So we're talking these are in the roughest shape, but I think it's important to mention that. So people see a $1,000 house or a $1,000 giant structure, and right. they immediately think, okay, here's an opportunity to make some money. I can buy my first property, whatever. It's a $1,000 property. You don't see that anywhere else in the country, right? Right, and with this one specifically, it was like 10K. All these people want to offer like five. It's 2,500. And now it's like, yeah. yeah. Um, but what they don't realize is, is that the land bank has strict requirements that we'll get into that they require of buyers, no matter what property it is. Yeah. And obviously the larger the property, the more extensive those requirements are going to be. And you actually do have to have a lot of money for a project like that. And if, they want to see proof of funds so you can complete the project. And then they want to see architectural designs of what it's going to look like when it's done. Yeah. And like confirm that you've done projects like that before. So, so you can't, one thing you cannot do with a land bank property is buy it and nothing and do nothing. That's essentially what- Which is really important yeah. for that not to happen. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's actually what they're doing with all of their properties. Exactly. <laughs> it's quite ironic. It's ironic that they won't let you do it, but they do it themselves. I think that 2903 Montgomery is a fascinating property at 13 units. I'm sure if you've called into our team and asked questions about it, you've heard the same answer from Dan a hundred times. I sit across the room from him and hear him say maybe five times a day to somebody, well, yes, it's only $2,500 to purchase it, but they're going to want to see over $500,000 in your account because there isn't a single person out there who would quote the renovation for under that. So then it's no longer a cheap product property. Anywhere in Detroit, you can find a 13 unit building for 500,000. So you have to ask yourself the question, is it worth the headache? and the hassle to buy it cheap and then spend 500,000 renovating it when you could just take that 500,000. And buy it already, a property that's already making money. Yeah, correct. We had a guy flying from Brooklyn that we drove around, remember? He yeah. was Brooklyn? Yeah, he was from, I mean, I've had, we've had numerous people from New York, yeah. They for some reason in. insist on flying in to see this property. And I try to explain to them as clear as day that it is not what you expect. Like, yeah, like you said, does not have a roof. It has no floors or walls. I've talked about doing drone footage of just this property because yeah. so many people are like interested, even though they don't understand the scope of the project. Right. And I think we're, you know, we're pinpointing one frustration that we have at the land bank, and that it would be that these properties are almost too far gone. So let's let's dial it back into something much more like every day. Yeah. You, Ben, just bought a property from the land bank over yep. what just two blocks from your house four blocks from yeah, your house yeah, four blocks south or four so you south. you live in a very beautiful historic neighborhood the university district yeah i live right next to you yep and <laughs> these beautiful historic homes are selling for 300 400 as much as five hundred thousand dollars yeah and just four blocks south of you you picked up a land bank house for a thousand dollars so, 1600 all said and done, yeah. Yeah, so tell me about, is that on Wildermere? Is that the address? Yes, it's on Wildermere. Tell me about Wildermere. <laughs> Do I tell you the good parts? So the guy left a bunch of stuff in it. I think he used it as his personal garage. A storage container? Yeah, it was his storage container. It's actually funny if you go on the Google Maps, he's like sitting on the front porch with a lawnmower because he has multiple lawnmowers. There's more lawnmowers in the house. Now so. you have multiple lawnmowers. Yeah, now I have them. No, I leave them on the front porch and randomly people take them from me. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... For that one, because um, we are working on the one Sarian, the one my wife bought, and the one Jay bought. Um, for that one, I've been more wanting to hold off because 
random guys in the neighborhood. That street specifically is not Seems so to be a, a drug dealing yeah. spot. And they, they, they told me they straight up sell weed. They sell marijuana out of the front. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's cool. No. So I'm just banking on like during the wintertime, I want to cut down the trees, make it so that it's not a shade spot. But all in all, the house is really not that bad. It's actually kind of surprising. Like it has that upstairs that you, it was like we had no idea. It had stairs. Didn't know there were stairs. Yeah. Once you bought, when you bought the house, when yeah. you closed on it yeah. with the land bank, what's the first um, requirement that they ask of you? Or what's the first deadline yeah. that I they, think the first deadline I think it's is, good to hear for, for people yeah. who are wondering, it's then I want to do, I want to do this myself. Yeah. Walk us I think it's it. interesting because land bank has like hoops that you have to jump through in order for them to be actually your home. So yeah, you paid $1,600, but the land bank still holds the title. Essentially, you sign over a piece of paperwork that says the house is now yours, and then you sign another piece of paperwork that says the house is now land banks, and you send a deed back to them. They're going to send it back to you once you like meet their requirements. Yeah, you're on title. If you search public records, you'll yeah. see that you know Ben Gooch is now the owner of this property on Wildermere, but the title has a lien on it, yeah. where the land bank can control the resale of it or claim it back. So the first thing is the inspection. So me and Jay actually went together to get the inspection. You like pay, go downtown, pay like $300 or whatever. And then they set you up at the time. The guy comes out and basically just says, yeah, your house needs everything. And, and so that's it. And gives you the paperwork that says it needs everything. So after that, you get kind of like a case manager. And that person will let you know like what it needs, what's going on. I, been, I recently reached out to them and said, you know, I've been hesitant to work on the home because it was broken into and because there's people hang there are people hanging out outside the house. So I don't want to put money into it until like I can confirm that they're not gonna steal stuff, that kind of thing. Um, but I think that there are just certain hoops you have to jump through. So it's like uh, you get the inspection and then they want to see electrical hookups, they want to see water hookups, like you want you connected to the city. And then it'll be, you know, show that it has a source of uh, a cooking source. So like an oven and then like a heat source and then and, and water. Yeah, if you get all the utilities on, water, heat, gas, yeah. electric, if you get the house safe and secure with all the doors and windows back up, paint and, and walls and stuff and the ceiling. Uh, is paint even a requirement? Well, it, sure. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know. I've yeah. never not tried to, you know, make right. it look good when I but also get. if you get, were just trying to jump through the hoops and only clear it? You have to get all the utility hookups and you have to get it secured in terms of windows and doors. It can't be boarded up anymore. Yeah, they want those boards off right away. Actually, you sign something that says you're going to take them down so like within it? weeks. But then, yeah. yeah. So that two weeks is the first hurdle and then monthly checkups after that. And they give you six months to renovate from start to finish. If you're not done in that six months, they will allow you to do six month extensions almost as long as you need. One of my land bank properties, they gave me two full years with you know, every six months extending it uh, with no real end in sight. They just every time said, as long as you're making progress, we'll keep extending for you. Yeah, that's my impression is that they're cool as long as you're responsive and that you're like making strides towards actually getting it fixed. It's interesting. So in real estate, written contracts are paramount. Without a written contract, people can change the deal all the time. So whatever is in writing is what you have to do. And the land bank is a real estate company and they use contracts and everything's written down and it's really clear. But I can tell you right now that if you violate in any way, like miss a deadline or forget to post an update or just flat out do something wrong, they are within their rights 
to take the property back. The paperwork clearly states that if you violate this or violate that, we can take it back. And it terrified me at first because at one of my properties, I was probably $40,000 invested into it in upgrades. I had furnaces in, I had, it was a huge brick duplex. I had two furnaces, two hot water heaters, two kitchens, two baths, plumbing, electrical, all of it updated. But I was having just the hardest time getting it to clear city approval uh, because the water lead source into the house was a lead pipe and they made me replace it. $16,000 repair that I didn't budget for. I found a guy to do it for cheaper, but six months later. So in that whole six months, I had violated so many deadlines. I had violated so many rules and I was getting really nervous because at one point they actually posted something on my door saying, we're going to repossess your home. And I'm sitting here thinking, I put $40,000 into this and they can just take it because I, you know, I'm in violation. Called them. They were in their rights to do so. And if they had any kind of like a money over people sort of mindset, they would have. They would have been like, look at this house. This idiot just put $40,000 into it and now it's ours. We can now sell it for 80 and the land bank will, will net all this extra profit. But instead, they took my phone call. They said, awesome, we'd love to work with you. And they removed all the problems and they, they gave me an extension and they forgave me for all the delinquency. And so like, I can tell you right now, the land bank isn't out to steal your home from you. They're out to help and support you get it to a habitable right. state. Like their end goal is to own no assets in the city of Detroit. Yeah, well, their ability isn't in flipping the home themselves. It's well, like the just whole, to get it into the, the hands of the right person. Yeah, the whole reason they were formed was with the goal of restoring some of these neighborhoods and restoring communities. And when a block has five abandoned vacant houses, the way you do that is either tear those down and rebuild something new or yeah, we have those properties. I mean, where Willowmere is, there's like, I don't know how many we found on Willowmere yeah. alone. There are like 14 it's, houses it's, by, the, by the land bank. It's just in their best interest that, yeah, if, if Jay started a job and it's taking a little longer, it's in their best interest if Jay just, you, you cut Jay some slack so he can finish the job. So, yeah. But that doesn't mean you should intentionally miss their deadlines. No, you shouldn't yeah. try to mess it up, but I'm just saying it scared me. And I, if they had done any steps to take it back from me, and actually followed through with it, I'd be sitting here a very different conversation saying, I hate the land bank, never use them, they're just out to screw you. But instead, I look at this organization and say, as long as you're willing to put in all the effort and all the work, they're a great organization to work with. However, I will ask this question, I'll let the two of you guys weigh in on it. If you were offered a property that for $40,000 already is ready to go, has a tenant, is making money, and is sitting here in like, you just a monetary exchange, $40,000 will give you a deed that's ready to go and making you money. Or for $1,000, you can get the property. And over the next six months, you have to jump through all these hoops with the city. And at the end, you will have spent $40,000 and you'll own it and you can put a tenant in it. Like which route is the smarter route? Yeah, I mean, me personally, I would, I would almost rather just buy the one that's already producing income. Yeah. Um, I personally don't know if I have the resources myself to, to restore a whole house, nor do I have some of the knowledge, because like we said, these are in I think if you're paying a contractor, then you'll definitely not work out with the land bank house. I think if you're doing some of the work yourself, I think is where it's at. And then the question becomes like, do you think it's smarter to buy a house for 40,000, or do you think it's smarter to uh, get a land bank house and only put 20 into it? Say like it's half, but then also that's like, way more time yeah so, so you're, you're, you're paying time for the difference and a lot of people don't have forty thousand all at once yeah. they do have a thousand today and maybe 
per month, they can budget 5,000. And so they're throwing some money at it monthly. And by the end of six months, they've spent 35 to 40,000 on it, but they never had to write a big check all at once. And that might be a, a win for some people. Sure. And other people might say, well, I have the money and I don't have the free time. So I'd much rather just do the one purchase. It's just a risk where, so, so you lucked out, but it is a unforeseen problems with rehabbing a house. They do occur. Yeah. And for somebody that would be taking it like that, I, for lack of a better term, like paycheck to paycheck, right? As they make money, they invest money into this project. If something goes wrong, or let's say, God forbid, what if you lost your job because of COVID? Boom, now the land bank's taking this house back. Yeah. Well, so and think about- It's kind of a risky- I hit those hurdles. I hit a $16,000 lead service line that I had to replace. I had not budgeted for that. It threw my numbers from 40,000 invested into $55,000 invested. So all of a sudden it became a much less profitable property. I could have, at the time of that purchase, taken $55,000 and bought a duplex. Now, Easily. the beauty of it is over the course of the two years that I renovated it, over the course of the two years that I was pouring money into it and getting it ready, I also rented it for most of that time. I got it habitable in the first two, three months. And then the last 18, 20 months were just clearing city hurdles. So I was collecting a ton of money in rents that whole time. So it actually worked out well. I saved up enough to do that lead service line before I resold it and got the city off my back. But again, that's a hurdle I ran into that nearly was a yeah. a disruptor. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a scary thing. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll ask the more broad question because I think it's just an interesting debate that I hear realtors having all the time in the city of Detroit. Do you think the land bank overwhelmingly, we're speaking in generalizations here, is doing good for the city of Detroit? Or do you think it's doing bad. I can kind of lay out both mm. arguments for you guys if you want, but I mean, a lot of investors um, hold the argument they aren't fans of the land bank because like you said, it seems like they're holding properties longer and preventing people from buying them. Whereas if they just let investors scoop them all up and do what they want with them, you'd have arguably more houses restored in Detroit as opposed to the yeah, I don't know if opening the floodgates is the better way to go. Yeah, that's like the contrary right. argument. Because it is a relatively, I guess I should have looked this up, of what year the land bank um, came about, but it's a relatively new thing. I mean, within the last few, yeah. you know, few years, right? Uh, I think 2012. Yeah. Okay. I will say this. I can see both sides of that coin and say them holding on to all these properties 100% they're getting worse. And in fact, the majority of the homes yeah. that you buy in the land bank are already on a demolition list yeah. for blight removal. They're already on a dangerous buildings list for squatter occupied, like water lines cut, power lines cut, gas lines cut. There's nothing really that the city wants to do with this property anymore. They've, they've removed all services from it. And so when you step into that quality of property, if the land bank holds onto it for five more years, there'll be nothing left to save. So at some point they have to do a realistic annual assessment of their holdings and say, are any of these too far gone? Should we move them off the list? Because there's no way that they have the infrastructure to do that. Well, especially in the middle of COVID, I just spoke to somebody who works there. 
she was supposed to be on this podcast, but because of uh, COVID restrictions, she couldn't. They are completely shut down right now. Nobody's working in the office. Huh. Nobody's doing That's field good, trips. Yeah, no. There's a whole bunch of checkups they are not doing right now. So yeah, anybody who cool. owns a land bank asset is just kind of getting a free pass right now. But the point is, they're doing none of the work to move more assets for 2021. So it'll be interesting to see what their plan is for next year if they decide to just release in batches huge amounts. They are building a pipeline of people. You know, here's a, a land bank policy. You can only do one property your first time. But after you've successfully renovated one property, they will allow you to do multiple rounds two and three and four. They, they do have a lot of package deals I see out there where they bundle up, you know, three or four houses for seven thousand dollars. I see that all the time. Yeah. And a lot of the times they will get the building demolished and they will sell seven vacant parcels as a vacant land parcel all at once for nine thousand dollars. So what do you guys think? Do you do you take either side of that that coin on what would you rather Detroit with the land bank, rather without, or kind of or indifferent? I guess I'll give you the escape route. <laughs> <laughs> I know that if they didn't exist, we would have a whole bunch of other problems. Sure. So okay. I, I, I think they are solving a very valid and, and important need. However, I do think that whatever solution came from their non-existence would maybe be more efficient I will say that there's a lot of tied up resources in slowing down the uh, right. renovation of all these assets. Like, there, the, like the progression of neighborhoods is being held back by random properties owned by the land. Right. So, so you mean? I think so. I, if you look at Pilgrim Village, if they just released all 200 properties in Pilgrim Village yeah. to one investor, Pilgrim Village within two years would be a hub. But instead, it'll be seven years before it is. Right. So let's well, what do you that. think about them just releasing everything onto the website? Just being like every property is active. I don't know that it would have that big of a difference because they're already on websites. I don't know that. But they're not every all. asset. You can see a DLBA property on public record and can see that they have not sold it to anyone yet. And it's not oh, on gotcha. a single website. Okay. They probably have 200,000 properties that are not currently available right. for purchase. Right, right, right. I, mean, I was misunderstanding. So... Okay, so one idea I've had a lot, when I know a block has about five or six land bank owned either lots or um, homes, why don't they team up? Wouldn't it be a good idea to team up with a group like us, say, and say, hey, we will, we'll basically give you guys this whole block for no purchase price, right? Like the $1,000 purchase price is arbitrary and irrelevant why it's just to make sure that you have money yeah. so you can buy it. what we care about is that you guys restore this why don't we gift these to nonprofits, to other yeah real estate groups yeah. didn't the home team didn't something like that well it's funny you mentioned that because if you pull up the detroit land bank website buildingdetroit.org there is a community partners tab and the community partners tab is easily accessible for any 501c3 so if you have nonprofit status and you want to step into their community partner program, you can handpick up to, I think, 90 properties and they will evaluate you and make sure that you have the resources to pull it off. And if they approve you, it, it's a free gift pretty much to take over an entire. Mm -hmm. So actually, Ben and I have talked about this. We yeah. are working on three properties in Pilgrim Village. And based on our success of those, we plan to approach the land bank and say, will you give us 
another 45 in this neighborhood. But what is the, so how does it work with a nonprofit? Like, like that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Well, again, they're not looking for people to make a monetary gain off of it. They're looking for people to restore the neighborhood. Yeah. So we right, could. You wouldn't do that kind of work without some sort of monetary. Let's assume I'm a, this is maybe a horrible example, but let's say you had a perfectly good neighborhood. Otherwise, five houses all next to each other. Land Bank gives it to a nonprofit that builds parks for the community, right? Mm -hmm. The only amount of money they need to make is enough to feed their nonprofit. That's how. Right. That's how it's supposed to work, right? They pay the salaries. You make enough to stay alive. Uh, everything else, yeah, you put your work. But they can do stuff like that of, of donating these properties to. Which is happening all over to, the city. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say the Fitz Forward program had a huge land bank component um, where it was community resources pooled to help the land bank turn these properties into parks and greenways and prairies and fun things. The same thing could happen in Pilgrim Village. I would say the final, like, real, like, piece. piece to this equation is that you don't have to be unprofitable to be a nonprofit. You can turn a profit as long as that money goes back into the organization. Right, right. So, you know, a, an organization that might want to rehab land could have a, you know, all the proceeds from the sales will go into first covering the costs, salaries and, and supplies. And then any leftover money will go towards building the playgrounds in the vacant spaces. The yeah. So you could do things like that, tree planting. And yeah. so you can make it profitable, but the profits just can't go to an individual as a payout. Right. That's like a CEO owner type thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's interesting. We should actually explore that more. Oh, it, it seems like an inevitable future, right? If the land bank's going to be here, it as much capacity as they're going to be, and we're also going to be here in as much capacity as we've been in the city of Detroit so far. It's just, uh, it's inevitable the way I see it that, yeah, something like that would have to happen. It would be cool to turn like a huge parcel into like a dog park. Totally. I do feel like there are maybe a whole bunch of other questions we could tackle in the land bank. We had a whole list of them, but I also feel like we've probably spent enough time for today on this one. And let's uh let's save see the questions for next time. Yeah, it's a fun conversation, Jay. Thanks for having us again. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Detroit Real Estate Expert Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, be sure to tell your friends, subscribe, so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in more of what we do, you can find us on Instagram at JTA Realtors. That's J-T-A-R-E-A-L-T-O-R-S or on Facebook as J. Taylor and Associates. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.